is this, this church that's in this book that's supposed to be alive today operating as it's, as it's, it's supposed to do. And that's what we see uh, part of our responsibility is to train you or any believer in the fundamental things to be doing the work of the ministry. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it talks about the fact that he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church as gifts to the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what it says. But most Americans think that the idea is that we hire a pastor to do the work of the ministry. But how many of you know only one person can only do so much? When I was a kid, I used to watch the variety shows on TV, you know, and one of my favorite things is when they'd bring out those guys that would spin plates. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They get the little plate spinning thing going, you know, and then you get another pole and another plate going, and he spin, 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 and by he'd get down to the end, and that one on the end starts wobbling, and he'd go over and spin it again, spin, 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 and he'd start some more, until the whole stage is just filled with those things, and, and, and he's running, and he's spinning, 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 and everybody's like, you know, waiting for the big crash, and, and, and sometimes I think that's the picture of an average pastor. He's, he's, he's like, and what they needed was just a person at each plate just sitting there doing like this. And that's, that's, that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is not a building, and it is not a small group of people as far as among like leadership per se. It is those who believe in Jesus' name. And so in the face of huge opposition in the early days of the church, Christians cried out to God like this prayer in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. And it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I want you to I want us to kind of dissect this a little bit because there are people who are saying that this is not for today. Then there are others who are saying this is for places where um, they don't have anything else. I'm thinking the logic of that doesn't make any sense, but I can tell you that overseas in, in places where they do not have the um, resources and the technology and everything else that's available, they just believe for miracles and God answers. And what we do is we turn to the things that we know and the things that we think we can do, and then we go, well, there's nothing else to do but go to God in prayer. And that's why we're not seeing what's being experienced in other parts of the world. Here, this is the early church. This is the days of Pentecost has just happened. The Holy Spirit has just come. Peter has just preached. Tongues of fire came on each person. They were speaking in other languages. People heard them speaking in, in their own languages. And it says, and they were magnifying God, speaking the, in, in, in boldness, proclaiming the wonderful works of God. 
And so this, this was right afterwards. This was not like centuries later. This, was, this is within a very short time span. And what has happened is that the leadership of the church, Peter and them get arrested. They get thrown in jail. They're brought before the religious leaders. And they're told, do not speak in this man's name anymore. And they said, we cannot help but speak in his name, the things that we have been witnesses to and the things that we have seen, but not only that, that which we have been commissioned to go and do. And so they left there and they went back and they told the Christians who were praying for them, and I love that story because they're all praying for them, Peter and them who are in jail and, and for being arrested for preaching in Jesus' name. And, and then God you know, gets him out of jail, and he comes, they come to the prayer meeting, and they come and say, Peter's at the door, and they go, no, he can't be at the door. He's in jail. And I said, no, he's at the door. But no, we're praying for him to get out of jail. He's out of jail. He's at the door. No, he couldn't possibly be at the door because he's in jail, you know. Uh, it, it helps me because it makes me realize that even the early church who were witnesses of all these great things didn't have it all together. So I feel like there's hope for me. I don't know about you, but there's hope for me. <laughs> and um, I didn't mean the way that sounded. <laughs> or maybe I did. I'm not sure. <laughs> but but look, what they, look what they prayed. They, they, they prayed for boldness in the witness. They cried for God, his hand to be stretched forth in healing. They cried for God to perform signs and wonders. They were not just open to signs and wonders. They were desperate for them, and they prayed for them to come. So why did they pray for this? Why did they want so badly for God to show signs and wonders? Why did they want him to stretch forth his hand to heal? Now, we understand this, too, that when they were praying this, they understood that it was they that were stretching forth their hands, but it was God stretching forth his hand through them, right? Because they were going in his name. If they were going and they were saying, get up in my name, there's no hope for you. But when you get up in Jesus' name, I say get up and rise or rise up or be healed or whatever, then, then it's God stretching forth his hand through them because that's what he told them to do. So I want you to consider this truth, and I've just put this up on the screen. This was the generation that had more immediate and more compelling evidence of the truth of the resurrection than any generation since. What do I mean by that? Just what I said. In other words, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Hundreds. You remember what happened on Resurrection Sunday? Jesus comes out of the tomb. He appears to his disciples. He appears to the ladies, to women first who come to the tomb. He appears to the ones on the road to, you know, Emmaus. But then he appears to even more than them, because at the end, when he ascends into heaven, the Bible tells us that there were 500 people gathered. So he appeared over a 40-day period of time 
multiple, multiple, multiple times to eyewitnesses. Well, when Jesus went to heaven, those eyewitnesses didn't disappear. They were still on the earth. Now, it's one thing when you have one or two eyewitnesses in, a, let's say, a lawsuit. And they go, an eyewitness account carries a tremendous amount of weight because they were there. They, you, you can produce all the circumstantial evidence you want, but an eyewitness says, I know what I saw. I was there. So when you have multitudes of eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, and even so much so that if you remember that when the Roman guards came back and reported what had happened, that the stone had rolled away and that the tomb was empty, they were paid money to spread the lie that his disciples stole his body away. But they were eyewitnesses. They too were eyewitnesses. So you've got eyewitnesses from every walk of life, okay? So this generation, there were hundreds of them that had seen the risen Lord. This was the generation whose word was least in need of supernatural authentication compared to all the generations that followed. Okay? Because that is an argument that we'll look at next week that is used a lot of times. They say, oh, well, the signs and wonders were necessary because the church was new and it had to get off the ground. Well, guess what? When you got hundreds of eyewitnesses who say, we've seen the risen Lord. We've seen the scars in his hands and his feet and in his side. We've seen him. We saw him before. We've seen him since. We know what we've seen. That's better than any other thing that you can pull out you know, and, and provide. Okay, So I'm just saying, th this, was, this was a generation who's preaching apart from signs and wonders. It was mighty, it was powerful, it was anointed. Um, when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and preached, he, it says it cut them to the heart. It, his words cut them to the very heart, to the very soul. I mean, it was powerfully anointed preaching. I mean, Stephen stands there being stoned, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and he says, I see him, and all the people see him, and he's being hit with the stones. He dies. Paul sees it. I mean, just think of all these things. Talk about anointed preaching, anointed, I mean, there's nothing like hearing the story from the person who was there versus the person who just read about it. You know, I mean, it's just, I want to hear from the person who was there. And, and so, but they were powerful preachers. They were anointed of God to preach the word of God and, and people were saved. So why did this generation with so many eyewitnesses who, who were anointed to preach and minister the gospels, to proclaim the gospel, what was it that they felt like they needed immediate access to, for God to stretch forth his hands in signs and wonders and miracles? I mean, think about it. Why is this question so important? 
I, I think it's important to understand, at least for me, because in today's text, we see a clear answer to the question. Because I have no use for questions without answers. I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't like puzzles. <laughs> you know, I, you, I see the picture, but I don't see how it gets there. And I don't want to have to try and figure it out. I, but, but when I have a question, it's going to bother me. It's going to sit back there. And how, I don't know how many of you are like that, where something is unanswered, and it sits there, and even though you try and put it out of your mind, it's back there. And then one day, someplace, at the most crazy moment or time, all of a sudden, the light goes off, and you go, oh, oh, oh. And everybody around you like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I got it. What you got? Now I understand. What? You wouldn't understand. You know, I mean, because, right? I mean, because that thing's been gnawing on your mind for so long back there. What is it? And, 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 and why? Because they prayed, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, Many signs and wonders were performed among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together at Solomon's porch, and, 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 it, and it says, and I want you to know something, it says they. And, and, and I think there's two reasons why it says they. First of all, it says the people stood in awe of the apostles and the church. Ananias and Sapphira had died. Church. Offering time. Bring your offering. Everybody's coming up with the other little envelope, Right? Come on, play, play with me. Right? Offering time. And they have been telling everybody that they sold some property and that they were going to put all the money from the sale of the property and give it to the church. And when they came forward, when Ananias comes forward, Peter says, is this the money that you've been telling? Oh, that's all of it. He said, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? He said, iniquity is in you. And you've lied to the Holy Ghost. And he drops dead. And the first ushers are ordained. <laughs> Not to receive the offering, to take out the dead body. I, I, I don't know what happened. I, I'd like to think and speculate just a little bit. What, what do you think happened when he dropped dead? I, I'm thinking somebody stood up and said, can I get a hallelujah? Come on, let's have that, another verse. Or, you know, or maybe there was a rush to the back door. I, I don't know. But church didn't end. Because a little while later, it says, as they came in from burying Ananias, his wife comes in unknowing what had happened to her husband. And Peter says, is this the money that you and your husband have given that you got from the sale of the land? Absolutely, that's it. He said, you have joined your husband in your iniquity, and those who buried him have come to get you, and she dies. 
Now, you have to understand, it wasn't that they held something back because they had the right to do that. The issue was they lied about, they were saying, telling everybody they gave it all because they wanted to look good in front of everybody. And he says, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. Iniquity's found in you. And so they carried her out. And I imagine one of them ushers was thinking, boys, we're going to have to get some more ushers because if this is going to be a regular every week, we're going to need some more shovels. <laughs> we, we might need to buy that lot next door. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, think about that. It says, the people of Jerusalem, the outsiders, stood in awe of the apostles and the church. Well, yeah. When stuff like that starts happening, yeah, I guess they would, huh? And, and verse 13 says, And none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high honor. In other words, there was a fear of God, a reverence of God, that something holy was taking place. See, a lot of times we think, if, if, if the holiness of God, the presence of God, the, the, the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit are made manifest, people will go running. No, it says they, they were in full awe of what was going on. Not only of the apostles, but of the church. Okay? The second thing, though, is that many people were coming to faith in Jesus. In the midst of that fear and amazement and wonder... Many people were coming to faith in Jesus. In fact, verse 14 says this, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multiples both of men and women. So I, I would say what Luke wants us to see in, in his writing is that there is a connection between signs and wonders done by the apostles in verse 12 and the multitudes that are being added in verse 14. There's a connection there because he doesn't separate that. He doesn't, he doesn't stop there and then begin something else. They are connected. They, ha they have a connection. And so I would say then that this is why the church prayed so earnestly for signs and wonders to be done to help bring people to the Lord. It's a pattern that you can find all through the book of Acts. And, and, and in your Bible, in the very beginning of Acts 1, it's probably mislisted because it says the act, most Bibles say the Acts of the Apostles. And it's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Church. Because it wasn't just the Apostles. There were many that God used in the book of Acts to do signs and wonders. And, um, but it's a pattern. It's a pattern. I've counted at least 17 times where a miracle helped bring about a conversion in someone's life. At least 17 times in the book of Acts. And, and I'm talking about 17 different instances. And in several of those instances, there were thousands that came at one time. Okay? 
So we're not talking about 17 people. We're talking about 17 different instances. And we've seen the miracle of Pentecost where 3,000 were converted. We saw the miracle of the lame man and actually, uh, where 2,000 were converted in Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 42. Here's some great examples. Let me show you this. It says, in verse 32, it says, As Peter passed through every region, he came also to the saints who were in Lydda. And there he found a man and, who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, uh, Ananias, Jesus the the Christ heals you, rise up and make your bed. And immediately he rose up and all those, say all those, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. They'd known this man for years and they're now seeing that he's up and walking and he's healing. And it says, and all the people turned to God. They could not deny it. Go down to verse 36. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which was, is translated Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and almsgiving. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they placed her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him pleading, do not delay to come to us. Peter rose up and went with them. And when he arrived, they led him into the upper room. And all the widows stood by weeping and showing the, the tunics and gar garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Why did he put them out? Because of the noise and distraction they were creating. It wasn't that they were being disrespectful. <clears throat> First of all, many of them were grieved by the loss of their friend. Uh, but it was also of Jewish custom that if you didn't have enough friends, they would hire professional mourners who would come and wail and make noise so that people would know that someone had died, okay? P Peter recognizes that God's about to do something and he needs to move any doubt out of the room. There's a whole thing right there. You can go chew on that one by yourself. But it says, but Peter put them outside, knelt down and prayed, and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He, notice he didn't have to lift her up. She just sat up. And it says, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. What do you think happened then? It went from mourning to shouting, screaming, fall on the ground, pass out, you know, can't believe what I'm seeing kind of thing, right? And it says, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. There is, you cannot deny that the working of miracles with signs and wonders help bring people to Christ point them to Christ. And that is what Luke is trying to tell us in the book of Acts. He's the writer of the book of Acts. And that is surely why the Christians would pray in Acts 14, 4 and 30 that God would stretch forth his hand to heal and do signs and wonders. It would bring people outside of that arena, outside of that area, <clears throat> to Jesus Christ. It would, it would introduce them to Christ. 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones served as a pastor of Westminster Chapel in England for uh, almost 30 years. And he was very pivotal in the evangelical message of the early 20th century. And he was considered probably one of the most solid conservatives and was a vocal opponent to liberalism that was beginning to creep into many of the denominations. And, uh, but I'm wanting you to understand how conservative he was, okay? Very, very, very conservative. But in a book that he wrote called The Sovereign Spirit, um, he wrote this, and I've put it up on the screen so you can see what it says. It is perfectly clear that in New Testament times, the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs, wonders, and miracles of various characters and descriptions. And that's important because we need to understand that the Holy Spirit chooses how to work when he wants to work. You cannot put him in a box. I mean, you know, I've told the story before, but, you know, there's a place in the Bible where Jesus spit in a guy's eyes. Another time he made spit in the mud, you know, and he put the mud in the guy's eyes. Another time where he just put his hands over his eyes. And I heard a preacher one time say, he says, we're notorious for coming up with methodology. He said, so if Jesus had been in our day, we would have the church of the one spit, church of the spit in the mud, and the church of the no spit. I believe that's why the Bible says there were many other things that Jesus did that were not recorded because if so, the world could not contain all the books. In other words, Jesus is going to work uniquely in every situation. And the thing is, we have to, that is why we have to learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. I've told the story before, but it, it fits here. I'll tell it again. Dr. Dr. Yonggi Cho in, in Korea, who he, he, he pastored the largest, he pastors the largest church in the world. They, they've taken 20,000, 30,000 people at a time and started a church, imagine, and, but still ran a church of a million people plus. And so they would say, well, we need a church over in this area. We need 10,000 to sign up and go over there. Imagine a pastor, a pastor starting off first Sunday with 10,000 people. <laughs> Not 10, 10,000, 20,000. But he told the story. I heard him tell the story in New Orleans. He's talking about having to learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he had been in, if I remember right, it was uh, in, in Indonesia, and he had been praying. And Indonesia is a very, very, very strong Muslim nation. And he had been preaching Jesus, and nobody was listening to him. Nobody was accepting what he was saying. And the Holy Spirit just spoke and said, <clears throat> call all the deaf down here. And there was a whole section in the balcony on the right-hand side where there were deaf people and there were people signing for him. So he, he calls them all down. And he, he turns to the people, the Holy Spirit, tell him, he said, tell him, you don't believe a word that I'm saying, but I will prove to you that Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible and he's still alive today. 
And he said, he said he's going to heal the deaf. And he prayed a simple prayer, and he went down, put his hands over the ears of each one, and as he did, their ears popped open. And if I remember right, the number was 25 of them. He didn't, say, he didn't have to preach anymore. The altars were filled. People running forward. Okay? He said later that same week, he was in Japan. Now, you have to understand, there is great animosity between Koreans and the Japanese of what happened in World War II. Really bad stuff. But here he was having a crusade, and he was preaching. It was just a couple of days after he had left Indonesia, and nothing's happening. He feels like, it's like, if you've never been there, it's like preaching and feeling like your words are falling right there. And he looks off to the right, and there's a whole group of deaf people up there, just like in Indonesia. And so he calls them all down, and he tells them, I'm going to prove to you Jesus is Jesus of the Bible. He said, God's going to heal these deaf people. And so they had pastors on the platform, you know, and everything. And he went to the first one and prayed, and he prayed. And then he asked, and the guy just looked at him, and he said, pray. And he asked the interpreter, say, can, can he hear me? And it, nothing. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. And he said, he said, I wet my fingers. And because I remember Jesus did that and stuck his fingers in a guy's ear one time. So he said, I stuck my fingers in his ears and I prayed and cast that deaf spirit out and pull it out. And he couldn't hear nothing. He said, I was frustrated. So I had pastors come pray for that man. And I went to the next one and nothing happened. So I had pastors come. He went to the next one. He said, by the time he got to about the fourth or fifth one, he was so embarrassed, he ran off the platform and ran away. And he, he ran back to his hotel room, and he said, I laid there on my bed crying out to God, why, why, why? And he told, he told him, he said, Lord, you lost face today. You have to understand that's, that's an Asian culture thing, you know, to save face. It means a lot in their culture. And he said, you lost face today. And God said, don't worry about my face. He said, you're more worried about your face. He said, but why didn't you heal them? He said, I didn't tell you to call them down. He said, but you told me to do it in Indonesia. He said, I did tell you to do it there, but I didn't tell you to do it here. And he said, I learned a valuable lesson. You can't put God in a box. Just because God did something one time this way doesn't mean he'll do it that way again. We have to learn to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. So here's this great scholar, very conservative theologian, and he says it's perfectly clear in New Testament times that the gospel was authenticated this way with signs and wonders and miracles and various characters and descriptions, multiple different ways. And then he says, was it only meant to be true of the early church? The scriptures never anywhere say that these things were only temporary. Never. There is no such statement anywhere. He believed in the ministry of the church. He believed in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's, but it, it is said that he became increasingly disillusioned with business as usual by the end of his ministerial years there at Westminster Chapel in London.
a highest, it, that was like the epitome of preachers if you got that assignment. But he said he became so disillusioned with business as usual of going through the motions that in his book, Joy Unspeakable, he, he writes this. He said, we can produce a number of converts, thank God for that, and that goes on regularly in, at, in evangelical churches every Sunday. But the need today is much too great for that. The need today is for an authentication of God, of the supernatural, of the spiritual, of the eternal. And this can only be answered by God graciously hearing our cry and shedding forth again his spirit upon us and filling us as he kept filling the early church. And then he went on and wrote in his latter book of revival. And here's what he said, and I'm going to close with this. He said, what is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the, of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. That is why I am urging you to pray for this. For when God acts, he can do more in a minute than a man with his organizing can do in 50 years. To which I say, amen. Huh? Um, uh, wait, hang on. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's written, he wrote several books during his lifetime. <clears throat> My purpose tonight and, and next week, and actually at any time that we get together, is not to... to defend the validity of the power of God and of signs and wonders. Because I know every time I stand up and I look into a mirror, I am a testament to the power of God. I know what it is to have been paralyzed from the neck down. I know what it is to be raised up under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what it is to have seen healings. I know what it is to see my children cured of cancer when the doctor said there was virtually no chance. I know. I've been there. You can't talk me out of it. You can give me all your reasons, and you're welcome to keep them. Did that come out right? That's not what I meant, but that sounds better that way than the way I was going to say it. You're welcome to them. But I'm telling you, he was adamant in his last days. He, he was saying, there must be a cry from God's people to say, Lord, we need you to do this. It, it's time that we wake up and realize that Yes, we are the divine witnesses of God's grace. When you look in the mirror, Paula, you are the witness of God's divine grace. When you look in the mirror, you are the witness of God's divine grace. 
No matter where you are in that process, you are a witness to the divine grace of God. And you have a story to tell. You have something to say. And somebody out there needs to hear it. And I believe that God wants us to pray that way today. My purpose is to simply say we need to pray the same way the early church prayed. So I want to encourage you to begin to pray the same prayer that was found there in the book of Acts chapter 4. And, and, and look where it's verse 29 and 30. But look how it starts off. It says, now, Lord. And I, I kind of emphasize that for you. I want you to see that break right there. Now, Lord. <laughs> in other words, they were saying, now, Lord, this is what we need. But I'm saying, now, Lord. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. Now. Now. How many of you know God is the God of now? He's the God of now. He's the God of now. He's the God of now. Now, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch forth your hands. I, I, look, I mean, there's, there's so many parts to that. We could take that and break it down into four things. But you have a part in it. Speak your word with great boldness. Tell your story with confidence. Don't be meek and timid about it. Show that you believe what you say you believe. Be confident about it. Tell someone about it. Don't hold back. If they look at you like you're crazy, let them look at you like you're crazy. But let them look at somebody that believes what they say they believe. Speak your word with great boldness. Now, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. Now, Lord, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I make myself available to be used now, Lord. I'm telling you, you've got to begin to open doors. There's going to be opportunities beyond anything you can even imagine. You just got to step out. How many of you will commit to at least pray that Amen. once a day? You pray that in the morning. You'll pray that at noon. You pray that at night. Eventually, that's going to get down inside you. And if you'll say, now, Lord, now, now. And then when someone comes along, opportunity comes along, and you'll think, maybe another time, you're going to hear, now, Lord, now, Lord, now, Lord. You've been praying now. Here it is, now. And here's what the enemy will do. He'll go, but what if? Probably, and I'm, ooh. I, I spent most of the morning and this afternoon sketching out another little series on viruses. The virus of fear and the virus of doubt. Ooh, I'm telling you, I got three of them already. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to work that in with Easter coming. <laughs> I'm telling you. But how about a church that's now? 
now, Lord. Now, Lord. What if, what if people walked out tonight and said, now, Lord. Now, Lord. Now, Lord. This is, this is it. Now, Lord. Now, Lord. Now, Lord. Here I am. Now, Lord. Here I am. Let's quit just singing about it. Let's, 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 let's see the God of now do the wonders of heaven. Amen. Justin, would you put this song on? This song just called Wonders. And uh, I want it to be kind of a closing prayer and a thought. The Bible says signs and wonders. I heard somebody say one time, signs are things you understand. Wonders are things that make you go. Wow. I created you to be my people I called you my own I said I'd be your God And I will never leave you or forsake you I'm right where you are Right where you 
Stand up. 